London's most shadowed church sat nestled against the northernmost span of the wall which rose behind it to block the morning sun and cast that corner of the parish in an eternal dusk. In those months the outer ward, like the other neighbourhoods ringing the city beyond the walls, lived in a state of violent transition as tenement holders and shopkeepers fought back the royal army with bribes, pleas and threats all desperate to hold on to their small scraps of ground in the face of the great events unfolding around them. For it was the soldiers' mission to clear buildings, trees, and brush from the city's outer circumference, a mission they took quite seriously. With the combined might of France and Burgundy massing in Flanders, the walls of London would need defending when the invasion came. It wouldn't do to leave the enemy a high tree that might be felled, a shop that might be torched, a ready supply of natural engines and dry fuel to be used against the city and its people. So just over the ditch, for fifty feet in every direction, the army's labourers were beginning to pull down houses old and new, taking axes to the few larger trees that still stood in those precincts. For all my lifetime the walls had been embraced by clusters of narrow streets and alleys, animal pens, shops and stalls, and an occasional smithy, yet now these wide areas in the outer wards would be opened to the moorfields, and the orchards and grazing grounds beyond. A great denuding, and it had already transformed this part of Cripplegate without, from a teeming precinct of city life into an ugly and mud-churned plain. The destruction was also stoking an always simmering conflict between city and crown. The aldermen were seething as they watched whole neighbourhoods disappear, complaining to the mayor in the overblown terms favoured by their superior sect. A royal trampling of the outer wards, gross violations of ancient rights, the commons kicked about like river rats. St. Giles, despite its close proximity to the walls, remained, though the old rectory between the sanctuary and the Cripplegate guardhouse had recently been sacrificed to the cause. Some of its rubble filled three handcarts pulled by a trio of sullen workers, pressed into service by the two infantrymen standing to the side. None of the five men acknowledged my presence as I walked past them and up the porch stairs. A small group of petitioners waited on the porch, then the church's dark and cold interior prickled my limbs. As my eyes searched weakly through the gloom, I heard the distinctive voice of the long-time parson. He stood within one of the shallow side chapels, arguing with another man over some aspect of the parish rents. "'Nor has he yet made good on the summer's leasing,' said the priest. "'That old hole in Farringdon,' said the other. "'Yes, two shill four, as I remember. "'Press him for it, will you, my father? "'Harder this time. "'I cannot have a tenant sucking the parish teats "'without paying for his milk, like all our other lambs, my father. "'Be off, then!' "'The two separated, the other man passing me on his way to the west doors.' the priest making for the altar end of the nave. He spoke again as he disappeared through the chancel screen, calling out instructions to several parish underlings, all of whom answered with a respectful tone of assent. As I neared the low middle door, he spoke more pointedly to one of his charges. "'That pile of ash, Gill?' "'Yes, father, I removed it, as you asked,' a higher voice, young, a touch sullen, as if its owner were being inconvenienced by the parson." Very well. Finish up with that polish, then, and you may go. Yes, father, as you please. Almost insolent, as I heard it. 
I wondered that the parson let one of his charges speak to him in such a way. The candles on the near side of the chancel beam flickered as I passed. I waited, fumbling with an unlit wick, until the echo of the priest's footsteps receded and the vestry door opened and closed. I looked around and through the screen. Before the low altar, two masons worked on the floor, which in that portion of the church had over the years decayed into an uneven surface of old planks and broken stones that the men were busily replacing. I looked through the crossing toward the south door. The sullen voice I had heard belonged to the youth squatting by the door to the sacristy, working a rag over a sacring bell at a low table. He wore the high-cut robes of an acolyte, the plain jet of a young man in minor orders. I approached him quietly, stood at his back. Gil Cheddar, the hand holding the rag flinched.